Nadia, and I'm here with Emma and Lilia. We're here today to discuss part two of Ray Bradbury's novel Fahrenheit 451 along the lines of theme, the, of the theme, effect, the, mm, the effects of knowledge. If you've ever read Daniel Key's classic novel Flowers for Algernon, you know that the main character Charlie undergoes an operation to increase his low IQ. After the operation, Charlie learns things that change his perspective on life and challenge him to think deeply about what he really cares about. He becomes an entirely new person. While he was once happy and carefree, he now finds faults in everything and everyone he comes in contact with. This is an example of an effect of knowledge, how knowledge can change a person drastically. However, as we'll see in a few minutes, transformation is not always negative. Sometimes learning can make one's life change for the better. Uh, so let's do rock, paper, scissors to decide who gets to do the 30 second summaries, okay? Ready, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Uh, so I guess Lily and I won, so we'll do that. Lilia, do you want to give us a 30-second summary of part two first? Um, all right. Part two starts when Montag reveals to Meltred the books he has been hiding and begins to read with her, but they have extreme difficulty with reading comprehension. Guy still wants to understand them, so he goes to an old retired professor, Faber. Faber ends up giving Guy an earpiece that allows them to talk. Guy then goes home to Mildred and her friends, and he ends up terrifying them by reading a poem to them. <laughs> After, afterwards, part two comes to an end with the firemen arriving at Montag's house. Yikes. You got finished with around ten seconds to spare. Sweet. Okay. Do you want to give um, us a summary, okay. uh, Nadia? Sure. So, uh, it starts with the guy Montag revealed that he had hidden, that he had hidden multiple books. He wants to explore them all and gets the help of an old cowley man named Faber, who also takes interest in books. He tries to show the wonders of books to two of Mildred's sort of friends and ultimately upsets them. The poem he had read the poem he had read showed the flaws within society. He had also gotten he had also gotten upset by the rude behaviors of people for judging and mistreating others. He feels guilty for lashing out, but learns mistakes are important to learn. Part two ends with firefighters showing up to burn guys Montag's house. So just under 30 seconds, just to clarify, we find out later that Mildred turned Montag in because she doesn't agree with him that books are good for society. She thinks they're bad for society. How does this new knowledge that books aren't something to resent and be afraid of change Montag's outlook on life? literature and the people around him? That's a really deep question. <laughs> One, uh, I kind of saw in certain instances in the book there are these milestones that Montag hits and he, when he kind of, when he changes his perspective on life. So on page eight of the book he says, Montag stood up stood looking up at the ventilator grill in the hall and suddenly remembered that something lay hidden behind the grill, something that seemed to peer down at him now. He moved his eyes quickly away. And later we find out that what's hidden behind the ventilator grill is all the books that Montag's been stealing in the past year. And then later when Beatty comes to Montag's house to talk to him, he says, at least once in his career, every fireman gets an itch. Oh, to scratch that itch, eh? Well, Montag, take my word for it. I've had to read a few books in my time to know what I was about, and the books say nothing, nothing you can teach or believe. 
And as humans, sometimes we naturally want to do the opposite of people tell us of what people tell us to do. So I think in this case, this is true because Montag then says, after Beatty leaves, he shows Millie the books. He says, I feel it's only fair that I tell you something now. I have something I want you to see, something I've put away and hid during the past year, once in a while. I didn't know why, but I did it and I never told you. And then Montag shows him all of the books. Or, sorry, Montag shows his wife all of the books. And then, because his wife doesn't listen to what he's trying to say, because, because his wife doesn't listen to what he's trying to say, he goes and tries to get the help of someone else, and that's what, um, that's what kind of inspires him to go meet the man favor. Do you have any uh, thoughts, Lilia? Um, yes, it seems like Montag's experiences with people and books since Clarice showed up have changed the way he sees his life. Like, he went from burning houses, burning, watching the woman burn in her house, and now he's starting to read books. Yeah, that's a good point. Any other thoughts, Nadia? Oh, well, I have to say, I have to agree that the woman burning up in the house had, had changed him a lot. In the beginning, in part one of page, well, in page five, Clarice had asked him if he read books that he burned, and he was like, hell no, it's illegal. But look at him now. He's breaking the law and reading books. It can be inferred that this is not due to the content in the books themselves, but rather Montex talks with Clarice, who helped him gain more knowledge about how messed up their world really is. So it was Clarice who started it, and now he's reading books and it's inspiring him more and more and more. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another thing I noticed on... Sorry, that was the bell. Another thing I noticed on page 70, the allegory of the cave is mentioned. Plato's allegory or allusion to the cave. Montag compares himself to the man who saw what was outside of the cave, like the real world. And he saw the light and he realized that what he'd been living in his whole life was a lie. And now he can't really bring himself to see the point of view that so many other others in his world have. And now he's completely changed his perspective and the side that he's on. Um, to add on to what you just said, in the allegory of the cave, the man that left the cave tried to convince people in the cave to see things differently. But when they were back, but then they were back reacted violently and refused to believe. It also said that the man had trouble readjusting to the darkness of the cave, similar to the way Montag can't go back to thinking about books like everyone in society. That is true. Once Montag got out of the cave, he acknowledges that no one is happy. And at first, he was denying it in part one on page seven, where he was, when Clarice asked, are you happy, she said, am I what he cried? but she was gone, running in the moonlight, her front door shut gently. Happy of all nonsense, of all the nonsense. So he's denying this, but as he gets out of the cave, he realizes that no one is happy in his society. And now he's trying to change that. How does Beatty's knowledge and history of literature make it easier for him to manipulate Montag? Another good question. I think in, like, in, when Beatty comes to Montag's house, 
he tells him the books say nothing, kind of like what we mentioned earlier. The books say nothing, nothing that you can teach or believe. I don't really have any other thoughts on that. Do you, Lilia? Um, it seems like the way he talks about how they say nothing, um, because he's read books, it, it really... Um, because um, Mildred and uh, Montag know that Beatty has read plenty of books, it really sticks with them more than if somebody else had said that they meant nothing. Yeah, so but kind of, sorry. No, 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 it's uh, fine. You can go. Uh, I, yeah, I really agree with that. I think it's like, because they know that he's smart, they're going to trust what he says because they think he knows what he's talking about. Any thoughts, Nadia? Oh, yes. So, also... When Beatty, well, when Montag went back to his work job, and Beatty was berating him and saying how he had a dream that they were arguing, and he kept using all the knowledge from the books he had read to fight back against all of the things that Montag had said about the books that he read, and he said, well, Beatty said on page 104, oh, you were scared silly, said Beatty. the bell again what were you saying Nadia? well anyways for i was doing a terrible thing and using the very books you clung to to rebut you on every hand on every point what traitor books can be you think they're backing you up and they turn on you others can use them too and there you are lost in the middle of the moor in a great welter of nouns verbs and adjectives and so he's using his immense knowledge of books to go against every single claim that he, that Montag makes, arguing with him at every single point. And Montag starts to believe him, too. Like, uh, in that same, in that same area. Don't listen, whispered Faber. He's trying to confuse. He's slippery. Watch out. And Faber knows that, Faber knows that Beatty knows a lot, and that because Beatty knows a lot, he can manipulate Montag more easily because Montag doesn't know as much. Knowledge is power as they say so. Knowledge is power. And yeah. Beatty has that. Beatty has knowledge so he has power. Another good question we had about the text was what literary elements did Ray Bradbury include in the novel Fahrenheit 451 that relate to the effects of knowledge? or what other literary elements that don't relate to the effects of knowledge that are seen in the novel. Um, what we mentioned earlier, talking about the allegory of the, of the cave, allegory, yeah, allegory, That's what was a literary element called an illusion, where Bradbury made a reference to um, somebody else's work. Oh, you're fine. Uh, so, to clarify, the the allegory of the cave was a written work by the philosopher, I think? Plato. Plato, yeah. Um, he was a very smart guy that lived a couple hundred years ago. And Bradbury is using that allegory and as an allusion in his novel. Are there any other things that we notice, like allegories, illusions, other like figurative language stuff? Um, 
Well, a literary, el- uh, a literary element that I saw at first as it was an allegory, but I'd say it's more of a metaphor was den- was denim de- denim's dentifrice as a toothpaste. It was basically an ad that was distracting Montag from getting the goal that he wanted. I thought it was an allegory at first because the ad had a deeper meaning of distracting people from of ads distracting people from things that they want or need. But I'd say it's more of a metaphor because an allegory is a story, poem, or picture. But dentum's dentifrice, dentum. I can't pronounce it. But Denim's Dentifrice, I think? Den- I'm not sure. Denim's Dentifrice. That was, it was an ad, not a story, and so a metaphor, because it, it, is, it shows that ads or other things, distractions, can distract you from what you really want. Are there any else, anything else that can you see? One illusion that I saw in, uh, in the novel was the reference to the book of Job, which is the 18th book of the Bible. On page 89, uh, Faber says, would you like me to read? I'll read so you can remember. I go to bed only five hours a night, nothing to do. So if you like, I'll read you to sleep nights. They say you retain knowledge even when you're sleeping, if someone whispers it in your ear. Montag said, yes. Here, far away across town in the night, the faintest whisper of a turned page. The book of Job. Uh, so one question that I have was why is the book of Job referenced in this novel? It's the 18th book of the Bible, but out of 66 books of the Bible, why did Ray Bradbury choose to include this book? Um, so the book of Job is the account of a life of a man named Job who was a wealthy man and a Jew who was a follower of Christ. And over the course of the book of Job, he went through many hardships, including losing all his children, his land, his wealth, and even his health. Yet he refused to lay the blame on God, and he continued to praise God. He didn't condemn him for all of the suffering, and eventually God gave him back everything he lost, and even more. So he became even richer than he was before. I think um, Montag could be similar to Job. Uh, but I'm not exactly sure on this. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that, kind of based on the story of the book of Job? I can't really see any connections right now, to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, that's a question. Maybe we can address that again in our third podcast, if we can think of any connection to why the book of Job would be referenced in the novel Fahrenheit 451. So do we have any other any other questions or things that we saw in the novel? Oh, I have something I want to ask you guys. Do you think that at the very end of part two, when all the firefighters showed up in Montag and uh, Montag's house, is not the climax of the book? I think it could be, but I think we'd have to read on more to be able to really figure that out. What do you think, Lilia? Um, I don't really not exactly sure about that. I'm sorry. That's fine. 
Well, oh, it looks like we're running ahead of time. So again, this is Nadia, Lilia, and Emma signing off for today. Thanks for listening.